0: Chaos is an indicator that change is required.
1: Self-control is strength. Right thought is mastery. Calmness is power. Peace be still. Patience is the calm acceptance that things can happen in
0: a different order than the one you have in mind. Better to fight for something than live for nothing. Those who inspire, lead. Daman man is a Haitian proverb that means beyond every mountain, there's another mountain. We're going to ask you this question all day long. Why are you here? The more powerful language we speak, the less power we leak. My name is Luke Kayam. We are a brotherhood of men committed to show up. This is the Fathers of the Future podcast. Show up, don't quit, do the work, leave with love, trust the process. Welcome to the Fathers of the Future podcast. I am your host, Luke Kayam, and I am joined today in this new year with my brother, Jesse Mooring. How's it, bro? Welcome to the show. Thank you, Luke. It's great to be here. Yeah. Really cool how we connected. Uh, you're, you're here in Arizona, but uh, we went from uh, social friends, uh, social media friends, if you will, and knowing who we are to climbing a mountain. And that kind of just opened up uh, another realm of connection. At that time, you had two kids, 9 and 11, but you were also on your way to having a newborn. And so that newborn is here. You had a home birth with your wife, your fiance, and he is now five weeks old. Just tell us a little bit about that, man. As we get into kind of who you are and how you got here, I think we got to start with the the new and the fresh. And having a five-week-old son at home is pretty new and fresh. Absolutely. Um, what a blessing. You know, You know, being a parent,
1: going through that experience of watching your child be born, what a blessing. And now- As time passed from being present with my other two, being born, uh, this this was my first home birth and my fiance's first child and our first child together. So what an amazing experience. I mean, wow, just I feel like now I can appreciate it more. I don't know if that's just because I'm here right now. And instead of looking back, trying to remember, it was a special experience, a special time watching... You know, such a a new human, move different ways for the first time, yawn, smile, all that good stuff. And uh, he was born on the 17th and 2.30 p.m. in our bathroom at home. We didn't even make it to the the water tub we had because it was really smooth and I love talking about it. I think my my fiance, Candice, loves talking about it too because I don't know about you, but when you talk to people about birth, Usually isn't the most positive verbiage, you know. People have traumatic experiences. It's usually like, "Oh, that was terrible," or it's just usually a lot of negative uh, feedback. At least that's what we heard, and I feel almost bad for a lot of women that are going through this because it's just like it was horror story after horror story. Just like, "Oh my God," I'm I'm just thankful that's that's over with. And our experience was not that, and we got a lot of positivity too. We surrounded ourselves with. People that really studied natural birth and the way a birth can be. Of course, there's complications, and you want to you want to take precautions and be ready for those and be responsible. So you know, we we had a lot of trust in our midwife and our doula, who had you know been present for for thousands of births each, over eight nine hundred births, and been doing this for mm-hmm. a while. So we got a lot of education, and you know, there's times where you know emergencies happen. You, you go to the hospital for. Emergency procedures, but we did everything we could to to avoid that, and that's what I like to do. I try to avoid going to the hospital.
0: Yeah, anytime you can stay out of the hospital and elect to not go there, I think you're winning, and I think that's part of why you know we kind of share that understanding of uh, of health. You you are an originator. I'll, I'll call you an OG from from knowing you now for some time. Uh, in the health empowerment movement, what does that mean to you? D- describe and even define that for some of our listeners, because you know, as a, as a personal trainer for you know 15 plus years and an early adopter of CrossFit, people will always associate their health with their physical fitness, and we know from terms like biohacking that it's so much more than that. What does the the health empowerment movement mean to you, and where do you see your sp- self in this space? Oh, what a good good question. So really, I think I've just
1: been, I've been blessed. And what it means is that instead of if you get sick or something, um, you know, you're not feeling well, disease arises, you know, we got so much of that in our society. Instead of looking outside yourself or how did I get this? Or how did I catch this? It's like, what did I do? What's happening within me? to have allowed this to manifest and come. And so it's really taking as much personal responsibility for everything. So I truly believe that anything that happens to me is I have some control and is a result of uh, things that either have happened in the past or choices that I've made um, here in this in this life, what what do you track? So I'm I definitely tr- I go on and off of tracking. When you say the were yeah, track yeah. right away, I think about the whoop. Yep.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, not the whoop. I would say more. What is your um, your daily habits? Okay. And and do you check boxes? Uh, I got my son right now on uh, his protocol for coming up on his senior year of high school football, and so we're tracking. He's drinking two thirty-two ounces of water. He's eating three meals plus one shake. He's doing his mobility and his rehab. He's not reading. I've written that down know, yeah. hundreds of times to get—I don't know what it is—and I didn't read for 30 years. But these kids are pretty resistant to an analog book. But those are the the items of importance and and a habit tracker that I've kind of instilled in him. And I and I follow one. But for somebody like yourself who is in this space and in this movement, we're going to get into you know cold protocol and breath work, as that is a major foundation of your philosophy. Uh, What are you you tracking right now? So I used to be an
1: intense tracker. I mean, I I think when I was was 9, 10, 11, I forget what age, but pretty young. You know, I had already been wrestling since I was six years old and cutting weight and just in that scene back in New Jersey of like really, really competitive. And I was having to cut weight and my dad took me to a uh, nutritionist, and this guy like measured everything. He wasn't your stand. He was like highly recommended and had all this stuff. So I got a, a list and a whole sheet where I was following, you know, exactly what I was supposed to eat for my car, my protein, all that, all that stuff. And I did that for years. And I also got into tracking other stuff, you know, and very disciplined with my workouts through my, my twenties and even yeah, into my late twenties when I, when I fought. So very disciplined And those patterns and routines have changed. But right now, really, one of the most important things is that I take moments every day for myself to really drop in. And so I have a a list of things. It's not like a checklist anymore um, that I have. I've moved away from that. I even take, I wear my woke for about a month and then I take it off for three or four weeks because I want to tie back into that intuition, my own body, not have to rely on something else telling me how I feel or how I slept, you know? So I think there there could be benefits to that for sure, but it's also beneficial to check in with yourself and know. So right now, you know, I I do pretty much do cold water every day. I do some form of breath work and meditation daily. I work to drink a lot of clean water every day with uh, trace minerals. So a lot of nutrient things are mixed in with my daily routines. Um, I work to get out in nature and connect with like my, my core family, which are, you know, my animals. I have three dogs, my, my children, my fiance, my little baby. So this morning, you know, I got, I got that in a lot of times I get it in the morning. Sometimes if I'm out, it schedule has to move around and I have to, you know, fit these things in. So, you know, today wasn't too unlike most days where, I got up early, went into my pool, it's cold enough here right now in Arizona, did that for three minutes, swam around, went into the hot tub after that, had my coffee and cacao mix and just kind of looked at the sun and took that in. Then I went for a walk with my dogs and my fiance and my, my baby. And um, then kind of went through the to-dos of the week and some planning. So, But a lot of it is, is uh, I like to strength train, I like to run and hike. You know so I, I do need some intense physical exercise at some point in the week. It used to have to be every day now it doesn't have to be. so so there's not an official checklist you know there used to be, but
0: I have it more in my head now. You're more operating in flow than having to track everything. Yeah, that was a realization for me beginning of the year doing a lot of goal and and what I call mapping massive action plan and and you know teaching that to men that I coach, but knowing that I have to do it myself, I eliminated early rising. Not that I don't do it, not that I, I don't need to be reminded to do it. A lot of men I know struggle with getting out of bed. And I, I don't know if I did for some time. I, I know I did, but I don't know when I made the switch to ultimately understanding. That's no longer something I need to be concerned about. I don't need to worry about it. One, two, three, four, five, six, doesn't matter. The capacity of time has been eliminated and removed from my discipline. I can get up at any time. Love that. It doesn't mean I don't resist and and want to hit snooze. Doesn't mean I don't hit snooze. It just means that that was one piece. At, at this stage in the game, I'm 45, 46 this year, that I didn't have to be concerned or worried, or I didn't have to put mental energy towards that. And like you. Uh, I don't look at my aura ring stats the next morning because that messed me up for some time, right? Oh yeah. my sleep scores, what? Oh okay. no, that's garbage. But I will look back on it to kind of see what the trends are and how the week or, or month has been. But I love that part about you know taking time to really just invest in yourself on the daily. This health empowerment movement started as a young wrestler. And so tell us how that evolved. You went from wrestling to combat, to fighting, give us a little background on that.
1: Yeah, sure. So, you know, growing up, I was the first child of my uh, my parents, but my dad had had two children, my brother, and sister, um, with their mother. But we all lived together, so they would go with their their mom in the summer. So we we all hung together. My older brother was wrestling at the time, and my dad had only wrestled in college for like a year, at not a competitive college. It was not, you know, not really any wrestling at the time where he grew up in New Jersey and, uh, or he didn't find it, you know? And so, but he was exposed to the sport, loved it, got us into it. So I saw my older brother wrestling and was nervous. And they, you know, my, my, my older brother was a computer, kind of a computer geek. And he was always on the old school IBMs. Like I still remember them where you, you played games and you typed in like what you were going to do and stuff like that. And he was always on this. He wasn't an athlete at all. He would get, I don't know if he got crushed every match, but he wasn't winning them all. You know, I was probably four or five and they were wanting me to do a a wrestling tournament. And so they convinced me that they gave me this singlet. They convinced me that it was hooked up to the computer, to the IBM. And it was called the auto singlet. So that like ant me up where I was like, they were like, you can't. You, you can't lose. Like you just go out there and do your best and just let it, let it flow. Cause we got you, we got the auto singlet, you know, and virtual
0: reality you know, be controlling. Wow. So
1: at four, like four and a half, five. So I entered my first tournament in five. Of course, I don't really remember this, but I hear the stories. I mean, it was talked about for years, but that, I don't know if that feeling like that, that feeling really that I was like unstoppable, like I couldn't be stopped. Like I went out on the mat and I just was just on fire, you know, like I was, I didn't have to, I just had to like get out of my own way, you know, uh, and let this singlet do what it is or let myself, you whatever that was, you know? So um, the first tournament, nobody showed up. So I have, I have this picture of myself on the, the, the thing at 42 pounds, you know, going <laughs> the tournament. But anyway, that was the beginning. And I only share that because it's funny. Like looking back, I'm like, did that imprint something in my, in my mind? But I really always had that, like, non quitting spirit. Like nobody, just the thought at like five, six, seven years old, I remember of another boy being stronger than me. Like it would, it would like enrage me. Mm. Like I didn't like it, you know, it's funny, it's funny looking back. And, um, and at some point as I grew up, I had to be like, okay, there, there's kids stronger than me. Like that's okay. And I had to deal with that, but that wrestling just, uh, really, uh, really took over. I loved it. I wrestled with an amazing team and coach back in, uh, Back in New Jersey at the high school my mother went to. They had one of the best high school wrestling teams ever in the history of wrestling. They like, what's it set, called? Uh, Pascag Hills High School. I think they had like seven or eight state champs one year in New Jersey back in like the set 60s or 70s. Uh, Bucky Rehane, who's like a just an amazing guy. He's like 80 right now doing handstands still back in New Jersey. Really good guy. Hope I see him when I go back next. But, um, But I actually quit the sport at like eight because I was already it was so much pressure, and I told my parents I didn't want to I didn't want to do it, and they were trying to bribe me to do tournaments and stuff, and I just said no, I'm not doing it. And they as soon as they backed off, about a year went by, and I wanted to, you know, go in a tournament, so went back into it. So that was a, a good lesson, you know. Now as a parent, I look back at that and say, okay, like that was really powerful because I was being pushed into it, and then they let me choose my own path. But I came back, and when I came back, I it, I knew it was like me that wanted wanted it. Wasn't being forced, right? So that was the early years, you know. And and it was like a main focus of mine. Of course, I, I swam for a little bit competitively. I, I played football,
0: but wrestling was always like that sport that I excelled a lot in. So yeah. and and were you fighting at all outside of wrestling? Right. Once you start to learn those skills, and, and you know growing up in a place like Jersey, I got to imagine, you know, outside of the school walls or maybe even in, there's guys testing you, testing your size.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I had
0: a lot of cousins and, you know, people, actually family members that I didn't know they weren't my
1: cousins until I was like 12, you know, but um, my cousins, they had neighbors and they had a garage that they made into like a boxing ring. And again, I was probably seven or eight at the time. And they would throw boxing gloves i was like the little tough kid that would that would like be down to fight so they would throw gloves on me and invite the neighbors over I'm like Jesse, you're going to like we're going to put you in we want you to beat like i don't know what they would say to get me amped up but i would uh, i would fight the neighbor kids you know so i had put a few down few few older kid like my my age and their their older brothers they would put me in at so i would fight uh it was a lot of family it wasn't so much in school so I was pretty, I was very like to myself. I hung out with my brother, my older brother, sisters, family members when I was younger. And, uh, so I started fighting. So that was, that was, uh, I remember loving it cause they would cheer me on. I'd like knock the kid down and get like a lot of praise. So that was great, you know? And then, uh, <clears throat> then I, at, in second grade, that coach I mentioned, Bucky Rehane, I was in a club team under, uh. A, re- a really good club team. All these different towns came came together and pretty competitive little environment in New Jersey. But the middle school, I go from elementary school, I'd get on the bus. The bus would go to pick up the middle schoolers to take home. I would get off the bus and I'd go practice with uh, the middle school wrestling team. And I was second grade, you know, and there was fifth through eighth graders. And that, that second grade year, I would go out, we'd warm up, We'd line up, you know, and, and you'd, you'd see who you're facing and I would just get laughed at because I was so, I was just like a little, kind of little chubby, on the chubbier side, I would say, um, and I'd get laughed at. You know, I'd see these kids laughing at me and I didn't get that they were just laughing at me maybe because I was little or, you know, whatever it was and just, I would just like harness the anger and get like enraged and go out and I'd wrestle fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth graders and I went undefeated that year. And I would make the, my. I remember my favorite thing to do was like turn, you know, like get retribution on the on the kids that would laugh at me. So these tall, tall, skinny eighth grade kids, they would come out and I'd throw them down and, and beat them and they'd
0: cry and off of the mat. And I would, you know, just be so pumped. So confidence through the roof as a young man. Um, did you wrestle in high school and college? Yeah, I wrestled in high school and college. And uh, it's funny, I haven't thought about the, the, that. In a while.
1: So let's going off a on bit. a little tangent, getting stuck when <laughs> I was little. But yeah, that those were like big moments that shaped me because my confidence grew and also just, um, you know, and then, and then you watch your siblings and lose and you gain, you gain a humbleness where you're not gonna, like, I wouldn't yell and, and be disrespectful when I would beat them. But inside I was really happy. And, and part of me liked when they would, you know, be upset because I I was, you know, I felt that. So, uh, but I went on wrestling in high school. Do you remember your
0: career uh, win loss record?
1: Yeah, I think I have it uh, within a few matches. I was ninety. I almost hit the hundred mark, which is really hard to do in New Jersey. Ninety eight and fourteen, I think, was my high school record. And um, you know, in New Jersey, like unlike other states, I just had this. We had we had, I'm still in a group chat with all my my. Co- I wrestled at Boston University, so a bunch of us all still keep in touch. Uh, most of the guys are wrestlers. Some aren't, but in New Jersey, if you win the state tournament, I think it's 35 matches. So, other states, you can have a lot, a lot more. It's e- it's easier to hit that 100, but I was just shy of the 100, unfortunately. But yeah, 98. And why'd you 14. choose Boston
0: from Jersey? So, you know, I was applying to a
1: lot of schools. I definitely wanted to, you know, get into a, a good academic school. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with myself. And, but I knew I wanted to wrestle and be a national champ. That was my, it was a state champ. I placed um, in the States the last two years, although they didn't have wrestle-offs for like, like now they have wrestle-offs for top eight. So I was just in the top eight or top six my senior year, but applied to schools, got some scholarship offers. Boston University was one of them. Uh, Boston College was another, and they were, there was talk they were gonna drop their program and, and in fact, they did like the next year or something. So it was, a, it was, a, you know, I was right in, 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 thinking that. So I went to BU um, partly, mainly because of the scholarship um, and yeah, started wrestling for them, but that's all I did. You know, I was training, even, even when I went there, it was pretty uh, tough academically. And I was with the, all the athletes were in the same, like set of classes, at least in the the general college school that I was at. So we had to wake up early, we get all the the classes in, be done by like one or two, eat, go to practice. I'd have mandatory study hall. And then I was also, I was one of those, like, I'm going to outwork everybody else. So me and my roommate were, uh, we were perfect for each other. He was the same way. So we would run like five to eight miles every night. So we were overtraining big time. And that's kind of the lesson I learned is I overdid it and overtrained. I woke up, I ran, I was on I didn't know what I was doing nutritionally, and I was drinking. Um, do you remember Metrics?
0: Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, probably, Bill I'm, I'm 43. Four, I'm only yeah. a few years younger yeah. than you,
1: Bill Phillips. Um, yeah, Bill Phillips. So I was on the Metrics diet, working out like three times a day, and that's what I was eating for my meals. And I was eating like eggs and stuff in between, but it wasn't enough, and it just it just wasn't good. But did it wear you down or crash you? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not blaming it on the Metrics, but yeah. I, I was you know, I, I, sh- I was, uh, I was training so, so hard and I, I don't think I was getting all the nutrients in the food that I, that I needed at the time. But,
0: um, my, my first go at the CrossFit, you know, Super Bowl. uh, I was doing, you know, double Murph, vested Murph, weighted. I, I did it all. I ended up crashing my central nervous system. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, we, I think
1: me and you probably share the uh, the lessons of like overtraining, like get, even getting up early. I mean, I could easily, I used to be, all right, set the alarm and that Jocko mindset, get up at 4 a.m. And now it's like, I got a baby. Maybe I should just chill mm-hmm. and like, you know, cuddle my baby for a little bit. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Times are, uh, times are different. Your life is different now. L- let's keep going on wrestling here for a minute because I want to know when, you know, you got into fighting, you got yeah. into combat when did you know, and when did you make that transition? I constantly see the statistic of the world's greatest UFC champions. And the one similarity they all have is that they have an extended wrestling background. Of all the different arts, there's more champions who've come from wrestling than than any other um, of the skills. So when did you make that jump, that shift? When did you even know there was a shift to get into fighting uh, after wrestling? Yeah, so I w- I saw the the first few UFCs,
1: and I God, I don't even know how old I was, but um, you know that was when I was in high school. So it always intrigued me, and the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu then got on my radar. I'm like, wow, this is this is cool stuff. So during my during my college wrestling career, which wasn't long, I only actually wrestled one full season. And part of a next season at BU before I came out to ASU, I got an associate's from Boston University. But during that time at Boston, I was jumping into some jujitsu clubs and just seeing what they had and learning some stuff. And then, you know, as a wrestler, probably a lot of wrestlers feel this way. And and now maybe there's some vindication from so many that do well in in fighting. But back then, it was like not and still now it's, it's not like considered a martial art really uh in many ways to too many people i think anybody that kind of studies martial arts and fighting knows that it is a martial art and um it's the basis for yeah everything yeah right? and it has, it has a lot of uh, application so so i but i was really intrigued about using other parts of my body because i didn't know how to punch and and uh, i knew a little bit but not much you know i'd, I'd taken a few classes here and had some you know, little brawls, but I didn't really know how to, how to punch or kick. So I wanted to, I got in, I, in the off season after my freshman year, I started boxing at a local Boston gym, uh, with, uh, this guy, John Ruiz, I guess he had the belt for, uh, for a few years, the heavyweight title belt. It was him, his boxing gym. So I went in there and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I want, I want to, I want to box, but I wanted to fight. Um, so I think the idea that like, you know, it wasn't a fight or, you know, I was a wrestler, but I didn't really, maybe I didn't know how to fight. I thought I knew how to fight, but just, I wanted to fill in these other gaps. And that was before I had any, I didn't necessarily know or want to do MMA. There wasn't any MMA fights around at all during that time. That was at, that was uh, 99. So there was, there was really nothing, but I got, I started training boxing, doing just traditional boxing workouts. This gym was old school. So I'd have to shadow box. I'd have to do all, you know, heavy speed bag, heavy bag. Just work on my punches, and I I signed up, and they got me in a fight uh, like a smoker at like this Italian dinner around a ring. That was my first fight, uh, first boxing fight. So that was my transition into boxing. Really enjoyed it. I, I fought some kid from that was uh, that was in the Navy. I don't know if he was with a uh, uh, school or he was just uh, in the Navy or in the Army or whatever. I lost a decision. It was a close fight. It was pretty pretty. Like quick, I think it was like minute and a half rounds or something. But I, I enjoyed it, and uh, that was just like a little taste. And you know, so I was scrapping, I was doing some jujitsu, and then when I moved out to Arizona, it was when I first when I went to a local uh, uh, fight at a bar. It was at uh, some place in in Mesa or something, and it was probably a rage in the cage. But it was the fights in
0: in the middle. Of the bar, you know, and I was there with a few friends, and I was tough the- guy for a while. I remember that that was popular before UFC. Was that, that what was, it a was tough called? Tough guy challenge. Okay, and they put really this wasn't yours, but they put really big boxing gloves on and let two you know yeah guys from the crowd come in and beat the shit out of each other.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um,
1: so that I, I went, I watched, and I'm like, you know, I'd been training and doing some stuff, and I I went when I came out to ASU, I was training at the pancre- American Pancration a little bit with um with a guy named jeff funicello he had a little program there and then the asu had a boxing club i went out for that and then i became the the president of this club Wow! and i started taking amateur boxing fights mostly it was with like a collegiate scene so it wasn't too competitive but i had about nine or ten amateur boxing bouts and then uh and then i saw these cage fights i was like i made a comment i was with a few guys that weren't uh weren't wrestlers, weren't fighters. I was like, I would, I would like do, I made some comment, like I would destroy that guy. You know, I, I need to get in there. They're like, Dude, you wouldn't get in there. Mm-hmm. And um, that just fired. me. like, I'm going to do this. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to sign up. I'm going to do
0: it. So how old are you at the time?
1: I was t- probably 20, maybe 20 years
0: old. And before you keep going, how would you rate the degree of difficulty between the two boxing and wrestling? What would you say is harder as you unpack it? When I box, one of my guys, Randy Stanky, he'll literally tell me to walk away because you're a dumbass right now when throwing. And I don't have those challenges as much on the ground. I may get myself into a bad position, but when I when I can't throw um, and I can't hit a sequence and I can't you know, follow up and my brain is just left, right brain going back and forth and then I just shit the bed, it's time to walk away. So I, I think boxing for me is more difficult in understanding the mechanisms and the movements and, and then applying it. What about you? I think there's different parts
1: of each that are difficult, you know, and there's, of course, levels. So, you know, if you're talking, I, so I have two perspectives. One, I share with you the same. It's like, um, you know, if you, make a, if you make a mistake, of course, with boxing or striking, you're going to get hit. And it's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt more. You get knocked out. Whereas wrestling, yeah, a little, a little bit different, right? There might not be as, as big a mistake, mistake, especially when you're you're training. So it's easier to train going a hundred percent in wrestling because you're not having to take shots to the mm-hmm. face, or you know, and and so. Um, whereas when you're sparring, so that so that's I think one of the bigger challenges in boxing and you know stand up fighting is that to train at a hundred percent is more difficult than, uh, than the wrestling and the grappling, I would say. And that's, that's one advantage actually of wrestling and grappling. You can improve. And it's also an advantage of that martial art. Cause you don't have to bloody somebody up or really hurt them to dismantle them or, 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 to, you know, control their body. So that's, so there's two. So I look at it both ways, you know, because if you have somebody, that's a really good boxer, that's never wrestled and they're, 20 years old and you have somebody who's been wrestling for 20 years. I mean, it's hard to get very proficient in either, but you can learn little things, I think with, with maybe defense to neutralize somebody with good striking. And that's saying. So I see it both ways,
0: you know, um, I'm with you though. You I know? think what you're saying is I'm a dumbass, and that when I start to throw <laughs> too many different punches, uh, I, I lose my, my, my thinking. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I've never been more, um, you know, I'll call it dumbfounded in the moment, right? Shooting free throws, catching balls, hitting baseballs, hitting a golf ball, automatic. You, you start to get set up and start to throw punches and you're trying to throw sequences and combinations and there's strategy behind the combinations as well as power in the art. Uh, Maybe it's because I I didn't learn boxing at a young age, right? Whereas you know you were four or five years old, uh, understanding and learning the mechanics of wrestling. And so at twenty one, you sign up for this first fight here in Arizona. Yep, here in Arizona. Okay, sign up the first fights
1: in Casa Grande in like a barn, and um, sign up, train, go out there, and the competition. You know, I'd been training my whole life, even though not not in fighting, but at that time, that was 2003, I think, maybe 2003. So I was maybe 22. And, um, I'd be, you know, I'd take the guy down, choke him out in like 30 seconds or something. So pretty, pretty easy fight. Nothing, you know, no blood, nothing on me, just easy. And, um, at first what, what was just going to be a one-time thing, I'm like, I'm going to do this again. This is fun. So, that's how it started, mm-hmm. you know? And so I just looked around, took some fights. I was watching the local guys out here who was a big name at the time was Edwin De- Deweese, Edwin Deweese, and then uh, Riggs, um, Joe Riggs. He was uh, like, had the belt that the, maybe it was a rage in the cage. My first few fights were just local here. And then, um, and then quickly, you know, the competition started to increase and different fights and shows were around the country. And I had, uh, I had moved back to Jersey for a little bit and I trained with um, uh, Danny Shulman and Ron Shulman who own Tiger Shulman's karate, which is now Tiger Shulman's MMA. And so I was working in their flagship location in Manhattan, just training, but I was fighting, then I started fighting for their fight team. So I had maybe three or four fights on the, mostly on the East coast and um, just had a great time. And I got brought into this karate school. So there was it was like something like 30 schools in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, all the senseis who were like second, third, fourth degree black belts that trained in more like no holds barred karate. We would all train and spar, and fight together. So I came in more boxer, wrestler, not really any kicks and just started, you know, learning they, they didn't have as much grappling. So we kind of mixed in and, and it was, it took my level up where sort of learn different styles and different movements and. Uh, that was a great, great time, and was back there after I got sick of being in the cold in New Jersey and missed Arizona. I came back out here, and continued to fight.
0: The, the hardship and the challenge in training is the only way to grow, and so that's part of what we now are living as as forty plus year old men. Uh, as you look back. And and again, how long did the career go from a professional standpoint? So till two thousand nine was my last fight. Okay, so, so seven six, years. Six, six seven years. Okay. Yeah. And then that pro career, what was your record that you retired from? I was nine and one. Okay, all right. So I went out with a win. I lost my
1: second to last fight uh, against Micah Miller in the WEC. So that was. Uh, my first, oh man, I like I like froze up too. Just um, not necessarily in the fight, but before it was at the Hard Rock Cafe. It was the first fight that was, you know, kind of in the limelight. Even though it wasn't the biggest crowd, it was just the cameras, and I got in my head, you know, before when I was out there. But it was a great fight. Um, Mike is still trains. He's a black belt. His brother Cole Miller was in the UFC for a while, but uh, I lost that fight triangle choke. My first loss, tough tough to take that. And I, I did not like getting that first loss on my record. Came back and got a TKO. And then I tore my ACL uh, pretty bad. And that was actually the second or third injury kind of in a row in like a seven month period. That was the decision. Yeah.
0: Okay. So looking at that timeline in the end of your your pro fighting career and looking at where you are now with a nine and 11 year old and a five week old, when did you make the shift from fighter to lover you know
1: i th- it, it it's such a good question because i think they're like intertwined it's like the love that i have and had for life and for just uh exp- like I, I didn't know how to express it and so it was being expressed through fighting or through uh, through movement martial arts and you know i i still like to do that so it was the only way i didn't have i didn't know how to transfer that into love but i do think it was more like like love like after those fights it was just like uh it was like you're building up maybe using some anger and and uh and i think the best fighters let go of the anger you don't you don't fight with anger you just you, you let it go and um you just harness your energy and so when the fights were over it was just such a feeling of of lo- like love and release and and just uh, uh acceptance and what else, um, just contentment, content. So moving into trying to bring that, I had a hard time bringing that into the relationships and, and more in what we think of as love. So I think I learned more to use that love when I had my children for sure. That was the beginning of the switch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was the beginning of the switch where it's like, wow. Um, all that energy. And I remembered like pumping myself up through different vis- visualizations. I don't know if you remember this as a kid, like what got you pumped up in athletics and what you would think about.
0: Ultimate warrior. Yeah. Okay. Ultimate warrior. <laughs> yeah, That's my vision for getting amped up. Nice.
1: Like this, like the scene behind you, right? Glad, like that, those scenes, like that was like my visualization. Whereas now I still can use some of that and like just picture this empowerment rising up, but just, I also, Uh, utilize all the love that I have in my life, my children, my, you know, my family, everybody in my life, that, that uh, feeling of love is just really the biggest motivator. And so I think it's been a journey. I'm still, you still, you go into it and then you, you know, move out and you tap into it. So I'm, I'm working to tap into that 24 seven.
0: Yeah. I think that's the, the bigger conversation is you know, when you sit with warriors, the, the language is different. And, and, you know, whether we were born into it or we were built from it, those of us who have gone there, and again, I have zero professional fighting um, reps and sets in my life, but I've been in a lot of really ugly, bad fights. Um, as you can see by my nose. I was going to say, your nose and cheeks looks pretty good. I can't see the ears from, (laughs) from under there, but letting go of anger and eventually working on letting go of rage has really been what I've focused my own emotional intelligence on the past 18 years since having kids and quitting drinking and realizing. By the way, if you're drinking still and you wonder why you're an asshole, okay, when you add that to your diet, Uh, It does nothing but make you a completely different human being. But I've had to really work on not being as aggro, but also keeping my masculinity at a very high level and and still being a man and a leader and a protector, but really working on what what love means and loving yourself, right? I, I see that and I feel that in you part of why we kind of have this, you know, connection and and trust to be able to have these conversations. Um, And so I'm just always curious, right? You know, when does somebody make that transition? Was it made for them having kids Uh, or did it eventually happen because you had to look back and say, Hey, I've, I've carried this wrestling fighting mentality since I was four or five years old. How do I now put that into a different source? How do I use it as a different type of fuel while still training Right. Cause I know that's something we both really enjoy to yeah. these days.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I would say too, I mean, um, a few things stood out. Like, yeah, you didn't, you don't, you didn't fight professionally. A lot of people don't, but it's all the same. I mean, when you dig deep and have to, you know, dig into your soul to deal with something or to, uh, to harness your power, to deal with the challenges of life, it's all this, it's the same, you know, or it's even, if it's, it's even harder. So I think, those moments prepared me, but also maybe they held me back. I think it was great preparation, but once my fighting career ended, I, I definitely had an identity crisis. Mm-hmm. In you know, who who am I? Oh, I was this fighter, and and who am I now? Um, and also, how do I? What do I do with this energy? Where does it go? Um, how do I? So I was at a place where I didn't know how to ground myself without the intense physical exercise. I don't think it's bad to to use intense exercise to ground yourself, although, but that was like my main way that I knew how to be settled down. So I wasn't okay if I didn't do, you know, didn't spar, didn't do that. It just wasn't, wasn't right. So the cold water therapy helped me out. But that, that question of transitioning from, from love, I think it was a long period and, you know, still trying to go from, we got all these goals, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, but wait, what about like, where am I right now? What about um, what time do I spend being present with myself or the people that I love? And you know, it's a, it's a balance. I think it's not a, it's not one thing or the other. And I'm a believer too that anger is you know, if you live if you stay in anger or hold resentment, of course, that's what can cause issues, health issues, disease, right? But but you can use you can get you can be angry about something. And tap into that and use it. And I think if you don't, I think it's just as dangerous not to tap in to those emotions. And a lot, a lot of people that um, might, you know, see anger as this terrible thing, they might actually need some anger in their life. As and what I mean by that is not to live in anger, but to
0: touch it and some drive some intensity some energy some fucking mojo get fucking
1: mad about you should be mad yes you should Mm -hmm. be mad if you're listening to this there should be shit that pisses you off and if there's not i think there's something wrong now if you're if you're pissed all day and you can't let it go that's a whole different conversation that's not what i'm saying but you should definitely there should definitely be some things in your life or in this
0: world that are happening that piss you off and and pissing you off in yourself not other people, yeah. not other things, not the media and all of it. I mean, I get more frustrated at this, you know, concept of social media than I do specific things, right? Like, you know, our forefathers getting upset about technology, right? And 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 people living in that, like I, that makes me upset. And then I realize that that's a problem that I can't interfere. I can't allow myself to get upset about, right? And I have to just let go of that. But uh, one of the questions I, I do want to ask you is, you know, you're you're the co-founder of Optimize. You guys are getting ready to open your third location uh, again. OGs of the cold water movement, of the breath movement here in Arizona. Um, when did you start doing it yourself, and then when did you say, "Hey, we we need to we need to we need to build something"? And and it is more than just a place to go get cold. It's a community, and I think that's. Also, what's missing as an early founder of CrossFit, CrossFit Scottsdale here back in two thousand eight, we the community was what we did. Fitness was secondary.
1: Yep, hundred percent. So, you know, the community is so important. And then we want to bring together. We wanted to bring, and we we continue to bring and evolve the really the most valuable and effective therapies together under one place and so it's it's not cold is one of them heat magnetic field technology pemf red light therapy meditation technology breath work um a lot of different things so continue to evolve so it's a place to get all of that and really we wanted to bring it to the masses to the people that value their health and uh, not have to go spend thousands and thousands of dollars a month like you can you can do these things consistently very reasonable and it, it'll change your life you you'll take control and you'll help change your own life and the own tra- your own trajectory of your own health so we started in um the business started in 2019 my cold water journey i was always weak in the cold i you know i don't know what happened if i when i played football in the snow in new jersey i got uh, some trauma in my hands, but my hands always went numb, You a know, very hard time staying uh, full of circulation and um, staying warm, even in not too cold water. So I, I didn't like the cold. It's kind of a weakness of mine. I would play around with it here and there, two ice baths in college, wrestling as an athlete to work on inflammation, but had no idea of any of the mental benefits that it, it, uh, it could bring and help people with. And it wasn't until i saw i was big into the guinness book world records and i saw wim breaking all these records found it really amazing and always i was always intrigued by these superhuman people and i always believed in like the body's innate ability to um to heal itself and also to transform and so i saw this a lot with my family i saw my my brother uh suffer with mental illness and uh rest in peace jimmy mooring died uh five years ago he was 40 he was my age 43 44. your brother my brother yeah and so seeing him see my mother suffer suffer with uh, breast cancer and um other cancers and just really take a look at and not uh it just seemed a lot more to what people were saying oh it runs in your family you know my uncle uh got a lung. they found cancer in his lung and his his brain never a smoker or nothing and at the time, just prior to that happening, he went through one of the biggest uh, stress issues in his life. You know, so there were there were these mo- things that just started to be put together when I when I got sick in my own body and just things that I was dealing with. Uh, the mainstream medical solutions weren't adding up. You know, I was I, I moved back here as a as a fighter, and in 2005, when I came back to AZ. I started to get hit with the these allergies mm. in the summer time when I moved back in, in 05. And they were like debilitating for like short periods of time, like hours. My, my nose would clog, but I would get this wheezing cough in my throat. It was like a tickle. And um, I was living right up by Westworld here. And it was, I thought I had pneumonia. So I started to go to all these specialists. And I had explored natural health th- then. So I was still like questioning, but I would still like if I got sick, I would still kind of go to the, the doc, the regular doctor. I didn't have any other resources, um, which probably most people still do, you know, which, um, there's just other people that I trust that are also doctors, maybe not, uh, maybe different types of doctors, but healers. Yeah. Yeah. Different, different types, naturopaths, or, I mean, there's, and there's so many different, uh, there's not, not all naturopaths are the best and the worst. Whatever. But an Eastern yeah.
0: medicine protocol is what you started to apply. Exactly. And then your health changed.
1: Um, yes. Yeah. I got diagnosed with reactive airway disease. So it was, uh, and, it, and the, the, uh, the medicine, the treatment for that, uh, the Western treatment, which I first went to actually was um, an inhaler and different uh, medication. Hey, you're gonna be on this because you react to the pollen in the environment. And we see this with a lot of uh football players. You're in shape, you're an athlete. So it's leading me to definitely think it's this and Matt. I ran some it. tests. Yes. Yeah. So you need to do this. You're in, you're reacting to the environment. There's nothing you could do about it. You're allergic to this type of these type of things in the environment. Like that doesn't make sense. So I take the inhaler, it helped, you know, and and um but I started studying breath work at that time. And what could I do to improve it and diet? And I started changing a lot of things uh, in my life. I stopped drinking beer at the time. Every time I drank a beer, it would flare up. Um, the inflammation. So the week, yeah, system. yep. And uh, so that was the start of it. But that, but then, then come fast forward to 2017, I found Wim Hof and his, uh, he had a 10 week online program. I did that program it shifted the whole game for me doing 30 days, the first 30 days, the 30 days in a row after 30 days of cold and breath work, I hadn't felt as good as I felt then uh, in, in years. I didn't remember, you know, how much, and I had a lot of turmoil. I had newborn kids, young kids. I had, uh, uh, you know, a business that I founded in 2008 landscaping business. This was probably 2011 or something like that. And I was, um, I just, uh, you know, my, actually, my son. Yeah, my son was um, an eleven or twelve. He was born in two thousand twelve. My daughter was is fourteen, and so when they were young, when I found Wim was two thousand seventeen, like I said, and I started doing this, and it was at a time where there was a lot of stress in my life, and things just got so much more clear. And I remember I, I went outside. I was doing a um, a Tony Robbins like like Prepare Your Life. It was just like the first few pages of it. And I wrote down like I just felt so complacent with my my business that I had started wasn't pa- wasn't finding the passion in it.
0: Um, complacent with your existence, yes. I think Tony would want you to yeah, say right. Yep, yeah, yeah. Not not just the specific, but the whole fucking package. Yes, was not optimized.
1: Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. So um, so yeah, it was a rough time in my life because I I wasn't finding purpose. I was lo- I was searching what's what's next. I I, I had this. Purpose. I was striving to be this fighter and have these goals. And now, and that's gone. Now I'm a father, but where am I? Like, who am I? What am I doing? And so, um, the Wim Hof method really met me where I was. I started uh, doing the work. And shortly after, man, things got really clear. And all those things that I wrote down, they started to come into fruition. One of them was a, a wellness center. And I do my first. Wim Hof workshop. I go through the instructor. Pro- it took me about a year. to Go through the advanced training and the the instructor ship, and in, it was in Colorado with Wim and the whole team, and met so many amazing people. I I didn't know these people existed at the time. I was kind of in the routine, and I was hanging out with uh, great people, amazing people. Just not, I was the odd one mm. in all the circles. I was, you know, I was, uh, I was. I was the different one, you know. Everybody was talking about sports and whiskey and what watches they were buying, and I didn't. Get, I nothing wrong with those things either. I mean, I'm not. I'm not hating on them, but it didn't. It wasn't your driving? Force. I, I had nothing. No connect. I couldn't connect to it at all, and so I was kind of lost. And when I went and met all these people that had found the Wim Hof method, they were all my people, and they had had some incredible stories of what they had gone through, way tougher than what I was going through, with um, you know, a the the kind of the separation and falling apart of my first marriage and, and my, my kids and going through that very tough thinking about, you know, who wants to have a, who wants to divorce and you have kids and now they're not going to have a, a unit. Like you don't want that. I was going to do anything to not have that happen. And that was, you know, my commitment, but of course it's not always up to you, you know, so you got to So that's what the Wim Hof Method let me realize, accept where I was, and then make the decisions based on what the re- reality was. And and so um met my tribe of people, realized it was all these people out there that were Chris looking Ty. for the same thing. Was that, was that one of your original guys? Chris Ty was, you know, I went to him, um he was, he's like old school. He was before so Chris, before- he, he woke me up. Yeah, Chris is awesome. Yeah, I mean, he's still yeah. a great friend. He was, yeah. before they even made an instructor, an official instructor program, Chris was a Wim Hof instructor. He was you one know, of the first. he trained with Wim. I went through the second official Wim Hof instructor training ever in the United States. And Chris was like five years before that. And I went to his one of his workshops for sure. Um, and he's awesome. He's a great yeah. mentor. This is
0: what he taught me. Uh, well, before we go there- um, the superhuman protocol that you're hearing as a buzzword now, uh, I believe we could heal humanity through fasting, cold and breath. You add some gratitude, some, some prayer and some love in there and, and the world would literally shift within 30 days. Uh, I'm with you. Chris Tai, uh, I hired him because I was looking for someone to teach me meditation about 2017, 18 more advanced right Uh, not a course not a video not just following but doing something where someone was going to be and he probably doesn't like it but the guru right i needed somebody to sit with and he just happened to be here and i remember signing up for you know his program a couple months couple thousand dollars and we would meet at four in the morning on zoom and i was like okay 30 days i think it was 30 days of meditation i remember i missed one and then I was late to another one. And the one that I was late to was at his house where we would come in and we'd sit and he, very similar to this space, he had created a place where you could move, you could get in the cold, you could breathe, you could meditate. And I remember he sat in full meditation for the entire fucking hour. And I just sat there. And when it was over, he finished his meditation and schooled me on his time being less important than mine. And I swear, you talk about a lot of transformational times like in coaches' lives where like that was the moment where they like woke up, that was it. And I was like, bro, you don't respect your own self. That's on me, it's not on him. You don't respect yourself, which is why you are late and, and or you slept in and you didn't make that, right? Oh, I paid the money, I don't need to. Whatever bullshit story I had, Chris Ty was the first guy that I was like, wow, okay. There's another level to this game and I'm not playing in it. And I want to, I want to taste that rare air. I want to be the guy who people pay to work with at four in the morning. And then if they're late, give me the opportunity to tell them what Chris told me. And because of that, there's a mutual relationship with my clients and I, because I've done the work, because I've gone to coaches and gurus and shamans and learned these things. That's a big part of your practice as well. You're a constant learner. Even now you're going through some some programs and some protocols and advanced breathing technologies. I got two questions for you here as we're gonna wrap this thing up, man. And I feel like we could go on. We could talk all day, man. I wanna wanna ask you questions. (laughs) Two questions. This fatherhood piece, we're gonna tie it all in right now. Uh, What would you do more of? What are you going to do more of with this five week old? And what will you do less of? So if you go back to the beginning of your fatherhood journey, you know what are you going to make sure you don't do or do less of with this new boy, and what are you going to do more of? Yeah, what a what a
1: great question. Um, the first things that come to mind are, and this is first, I'll preface this. I remember looking back. I remember I had the idea in my head or this this thought still that I, and I remember telling people this too. The first six months of the, you know, the, the baby's life, it, it was really difficult for me or challenging, I should say, to connect because I felt like all, you know, they wanted was mom and that was their food source. Right. And so that was kind of like, I remember that was, that was like one of the, my pieces of advice to other fathers or just like brace yourself, him. Hey, and like most people think the babies, what a newborn is, is really what a three month old is or, or what a, they think a a newborn is like a three month, but they're not, they're they're not even close to there yet. They're a newborn. They're barely looking. They're just learning everything. And although I think there's still some truth to that, I would give people the, you know, not that advice. Now it's like you can connect with your newborn and you got to get yourself into that space and into a really special space of presence. And now I find myself able to drop in and it's it's not hard for me to connect with him now. So I was like, I kind of reprogrammed my thought pattern because this is what I kind of brought in subconsciously that I was telling myself. And now, yeah, I'm I'm doing things. and But when I drop in with him and slow down, you see that and you start to see every little thing they do and they start to notice. And there, they're it reminds me like, um, I think, Infants and and even babies and kids are kind of at a higher level of consciousness than we are. Um, they're taking in every little thing that we don't even notice um, because they're they're just they're sensing everything for the first time. So just like opening their eyes and seeing like a little ray of light or touch or you know everything is just so. Uh, so pronounced maybe. And so, uh, so anyway, I would say, I forget the question, but, but uh, one of the things I would give is find that presence and just slow yourself down so you can get into that space. And looking back, I think that fear that people have, and and I had like, not a fear of babies, but just kind of like, oh man, like I can't, like that's, I can't go there. You just, it's too much, it's too delicate or it's too, I don't know what, if you can relate, it's
0: like for the first six months, the bobblehead. Yeah. The bobblehead or
1: like you're, you know, you see somebody else's baby, like try to connect. Like it's a, it's actually a very, um, special time and something you can learn from if you can get in that space and connect with a, a newborn, um, by slowing down and and being present. It's something that's like, I think the most powerful thing, you know, we have the, we have a PEMF, a pulse electromagnetic field device in, both of our optimized centers are going to be one of the third. is a powerful magnetic uh, device. that's part of the superhuman protocol by, well, this there's so many superhuman protocols, yeah. but the one that was patented by, you know, 10X Health, I guess. Yeah. But um, but a baby, man, that's the most powerful wow. PMF technology, mm-hmm. I think, that exists, holding a baby on your chest, and it just is a super grounding force. So one of the things I'm going to do is try to really continue to drop into to the space of our baby and my child and, my, and even my other children is try to spend time with them where I'm not trying to dictate what happens because that's what I do a lot. And that's a pattern of mine. I'm trying to, I'm trying to do it with good intention because I want them to learn the lessons that I maybe know or believe they have to learn or want to teach them how to be the best people that they can be. But I'm always trying to control and assert myself on the situation, and I am trying to do less of that. And just at least there can be times where I do that, but times where I'm just in their space and they're in control of what goes on. And I try to take a backseat of just being with them and learning about them. And so that's my work is really learning to be with my kids and not have to be doing something, let them do the thing and me be the supportive role. That's my biggest
0: challenge. Jesse, you define the way of the warrior and and he's not just all tough and and masculine and powerful and you know demanding and you know unsensitive. You have that skill of life, which is what we're all I believe striving for as men as as warriors is to continue to learn the way of the warrior and it's not only masculinity and power but it's humility and also understanding that. The lover and the fighter can live together. I appreciate you for being here. Give us a, a, a shameless self promotion and plug on how listeners can get a hold of you, how they can come and, and get some of uh, optimize. Absolutely. So, J
1: Morang, J M O R E N G at J is my Instagram. At optimize underscore me is our business. Um, please follow us on that. Uh, my passion is through helping other people realize their own power, being supportive, connecting with like minded people, you know, and just we started optimized not to make money, not to add some revenue to our business through this thing. We started to help people. And, um, yeah, a lot, a lot more I could share, but I feel definitely a kinship with you and what you're doing, how you've risen up and you're you're kind of supporting so many other men and fathers and it's definitely something needed. And, um, I'm just a big fan. I'm honored to be here. Would love your listeners to connect with me on social media and, um, and then I'll get back to them. Of course, leading courses all over Arizona at I lead breath courses. I, we have other practitioners come in, you know, I'm a, I'm somebody of curiosity. I don't know everything I'm learning from other people. So let's,
0: let's, Come together and rise up, and tell us about this third location. We got a we got a grand opening yet, or it's coming. Looking for March thirty second okay. in Thunderbird, North Phoenix.
1: It's going to be our our an, another amazing location. We're going to have more space for a breath work room and classes there as well, and um, it's just going to be amazing. You know, uh, Michael Roviello, my business partner blessed to meet him through the Wim Hof Instructorship. Great. What a great leader he is. Um, and so that location opens up in March and we don't have a grand opening yet, but there's more coming. We're actually an official franchise. The only, we never wanted to be a franchise. We're not. And um, the only reason we did this, we had a lot of people coming to us. trying want to, to be mo- a part of it. Want to be a part of it. And so we, we started this. We're partnering with three people this next year to open up Optimizes in other, states or other counties so we're doing that um i got my commercial landscape business the only landscape business that does not use roundup or glyphosate products which are toxic to different pathways in the body and plants and so we're just trying to in my life i'm trying to do things that align 100 with who i am and what i believe and so um and looking to connect with other people like that and uh Thank you. Yeah. Looking to rise up, be a better father. There's so many good dads out there. There's so many people I'm learning, you know, being a great partner, me and my fiance, will get married. We've uh, been uh, been working on the relationship, looking at yourself. You got to do that, that work yourself, you know, and relationships are hard too. A lot of relationships between children and people are codependent ones. And so um, this is a big part of my work too, relationships and uh, forging better ones with people like you. So, um, yeah, it's an honor to be here, man.
0: Jesse Mooring, you are a wealth of knowledge, man. And, uh, the best part about what you're teaching right now with the, the health empowerment movement and natural health is that it ends up becoming longevity. And I've always said that as a, you know, 19 year old personal trainer, right. Seeing some of these old wizards live long, beautiful, healthy lives that's the game man and and it's rare to find guys who are actually doing it and teaching it and not just talking about it online so appreciate you for being here thank you my brother thank you Luke if you got something out of this message all we ask in return is that you simply pay it forward you share it with somebody who needs to learn how to optimize their health their mind and their fatherhood journey this is the Fathers of the Future podcast my name is Luke Kayyem and we'll see you next time peace